Hello, everyone, and thank you for being here in our uh, weekly installment each Friday of the Class Action Weekly Wire. Joining me today is Rebecca Bjork of our Washington, D.C. office, who is a special counsel in our workplace class action group. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. Great to be here, Jerry. Today, we have a little bit of a different topic, uh, an important one. Uh, and one that uh, tends to rear itself from time to time in class action litigation. And that's the topic of sanctions, uh, either sanctions against the plaintiff's lawyer who brought the case or sanctions against defense counsel uh, involved in the class action litigation. And one of the chapters of our Dwayne Morris class action review um, details the largest sanctions awards and rulings uh, throughout the United States each year. Um, Rebecca, what are some of the reasons that you've seen in the case law about why courts would ever enter sanctions in a class action? Well, by way of bank, uh, background, sanctions really are simply thought of as penalties. In civil cases, they're typically the form of a monetary fine, usually issued in response to violating some court of court procedures or abusing the judicial process. And of course, the most extreme sanctions imposed in a civil case is dismissal with prejudice of the filing party's claim or on the other hand, dismissal of the answer of the responding party. So then the case would have no further movement going forward and it would be over with judgment against the party that was being sanctioned. And this actually happened in one case last year, Gu Zhenzhu v. Matsu Corporation. The judge struck the defendant's answer and entered a default judgment against them. And this was in a wage and hour collective action and the reason for the sanction under Rule 37B was that their counsel disobeyed a court order to provide a class list for the provision of notice of the collective action under the Fair Labor Standards Act by the deadline that the court had set. And in addition, the counsel had withdrawn his appearance without securing substitute counsel for the collective. It's interesting. I've always thought that because sanctions are such uh, an odious sort of uh, end result of a lawsuit that the losing uh, party on the end of the sanctions order often uh, makes an appeal. And to me, uh, one of the key decisions that I read in 2022 was the Tenth Circuit decision in the case of O'Rourke versus Dominion Voting Systems, which was a case where uh, various um, citizens had sued saying that the presidential election was a fraud and that their votes weren't counted, the defendants had to uh, respond to the lawsuit, filed a motion to dismiss for lack of standing. Judge granted it and found that in essence, the lawsuit was frivolous, shouldn't have been brought, that uh, the arguments of the plaintiffs in terms of their standing were um, just entirely frivolous. And to the extent that it, even during oral argument, they admitted as much. And the court, district court judge entered sanctions of $187,000. And uh, the Tenth Circuit opinion affirming that decision in terms of the sanction order uh, makes for a very interesting reading. It's almost a roadmap of what uh, lawyers should not do and uh, a roadmap in terms of what lawsuits should not be brought because there's no basis in law or fact for them to be brought and, you know, kind of that uh, notion of making a bad situation even worse where a district court sanction order is then uh, uh, broadcast 
nationwide in a uh, court of appeals decision, which is exactly what uh, happened and it was picked up in the media and it's become quite a important case. I think of your corporate counsel and you wanted to read one sanctions order, that 10th circuit decision would be uh, kind of required reading uh, in terms of the sanctions area. That's absolutely right. Um, and if you're a class action attorney, you probably should be aware of the fact that sanctions can be awarded if settlement agreements are violated. And this also happened last year in a case called Asset Acceptance LLC v. Kazat. And the court granted a motion not only for sanctions, but also for civil contempt and awarded uh, the counterclaim defendant a payment of $387,000 $314 and four cents for, for some reason uh, in remedial damages to class members who were wrongly subject to collections. This was a debt collection class action. And the plaintiffs or the uh, counterclaim plaintiffs counsel also had to pay the defendant's attorney's fees more than $1.1 million and an additional monetary sanction of close to $1.2 million if they failed to pay within the deadline set by the court uh, within 30 days of that deadline. I mean, that's a great point, Rebecca. In my experience, another fertile ground where sanctions uh, tend to be in the mix is with discovery. And as we all know, in class actions, um, discovery tends to be very laborious, very expensive. And if your defendant involves production of massive amounts of material, either written or electronically stored information, I read with interest the uh, Huggins versus Total Quality Logistics decision last year where uh, there was a sanction order entered with respect to the manner and method by which the defendant had approached discovery and the magistrate judge giving the defendant opportunity after opportunity and basically saying, I have no alternative but to sanction you and to impose monetary costs upon you because of the cavalier attitude and the positions you took in discovery. And in my experience, magistrate judges lording over discovery, especially in federal court, and especially in class actions are getting very serious about that because of uh, the potential costs and delays that are involved in games that are played with discovery. That's absolutely right. Um, and not only monetary sanctions in the context of discovery are important to keep your eyes on, but also barring the use of the evidence in the trial of the case. Uh, that happened in a case last year, LD et al. v. United Behavioral Health, a class action uh, alleging um, not paying sufficiently for out-of-network claims for substance use disorder and mental health treatments for people who were insured by the defendant. And what happened in that case was that plaintiffs filed a motion for sanctions after the defendant submitted tens of thousands of documents in discovery after the discovery deadline had elapsed. And the court granted the plaintiff's motion and barred the defendant from using documents, audio records, an Excel spreadsheet, all of the information that they had failed to produce before the close of discovery. That's a great example. Our because sanctions or threats of sanctions are also used as a weapon often by the plaintiff's bar against the defendants, since discovery tends to be focused more on defendants because they have the information, the data, in terms of the array of case law rulings in 2022, 
uh, by your way of thinking, were there any notable rulings where judges backed up uh, what defendants did and denied plaintiffs' motions for sanctions in a class action? Sure, absolutely. Um, there are instances where sanctions are denied even when a rule or a proper procedure is violated. If the defendant can show the court that there was no bad faith or willfulness on their part. And this happened in a case in the state of Pennsylvania uh, where it was uh, involving uh, people who were wards of the state who had profound intellectual disabilities, and they filed a class action alleging that their civil rights were being violated. The name of the case is Jennings v. Wolf, and they uh, failed to disclose an expert, um, but released the expert's report one day after the deadline. Plaintiffs still had four months left to rebut the testimony, and they did, so the testimony didn't come as a surprise to them. So the court found that there was no evidence of bad faith in order to uh, apply any sanctions in that instance. And in a similar case, uh, it wasn't necessarily an issue of lack of bad faith, but the defendant was able to convince the judge that they were not obligated under law to do what the plaintiff's side was asking them to do in a class action. And in this case, it was uh, producing the list of all putative class members' names and addresses prior to certification. This was Holland Hewitt, the Allstate uh, Life Insurance Company. And again, that court uh, found that sanctions were not warranted in that situation. Those are great insights and analysis, Rebecca. I know you're a subject matter expert in this area, and I'm sure we'll see more in 2023 since by their very nature, class actions involve very significant issues and lots of discoveries. So uh, I'm sure corporate counsel will see other threats of sanctions and sanction rulings down the, down the line. So thank you, loyal blog readers, for joining us for our Friday weekly podcast. Signing off. Thanks so much. <laughs>